Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. So we're looking to the Lord tonight to drop something into your mind, into your heart, because I am very aware that I could share truth, but only the Holy Spirit can reveal truth. And it has to be the Holy Spirit working to minister into our lives. Amen? And, and tonight I want to take a, a subject, uh, and the reason that I have really felt this in preparation yesterday is that of recent times, I have heard people saying how much, uh, a lot of things about faithfulness. Uh, I have to be faithful. I have to be faithful in coming to church. I have to be faithful in my attendance. I have to be faithful in my giving. I have to be faithful. And, And it feels as though there's something we need to do that we have to be faithful. I I just uh, I just know that what that does is create guilt. One of the things that I want to do in in my messages, as far as my heart for Jesus is concerned, is in an understanding a whole lot more from a neuroscientific point of view about what fear and guilt does to our minds, to our emotional health and our mental health. You know that there are many people today who are really struggling and they're struggling with emotional mental health and really it has been produced by very negative aspects, sometimes from the church. Uh, You you know that fear releases 1,400 physical and emotional, chemical, electrical impulses that damage the brain. That's followed immediately by guilt. And one of the things that Uh, is such a controlling force, it's such a powerful motivator, is guilt. People use guilt a lot. It's used by kids on parents. I've watched that happen in supermarkets. It's used by spouses on each other. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's used by the preacher on the platform. But one of the most important things is the New Testament does not talk about guilt except in one place. And it says this, and the whole world stands guilty before God. But the guiltless one came and took away my guilt. And now I am free from the fears of tomorrow. I am free from the guilt of my past. I've traded my shackles for this glorious song. And I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. One of the most important things towards real good mental and emotional health is to live free fear and guilt free. Amen. And I just see the topic that I'm taking tonight is because just of recent times, and particularly in my practice, of people comes and feel they have to do this and they have to do that and they have to do something else. And that's not right. And nothing that I do, ever anything I do, should ever be motivated by guilt. The moment that something is motivating me by guilt or a feeling of guilt, I immediately dismiss it because it's a wrong motivator. It's a powerful motivator, but it's a very wrong motivator. Who wants good mental and emotional health? Well, of course. Well, you're on your way to some very poor mental and emotional health if you buy into fear and if you buy into guilt. Those are two of the most 
powerful agencies followed by numbers of others but they're the powerfulest agency to stop and rob you of your joy and your emotional health and so on uh, I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do something else let me tell you tonight that any human faithfulness is only a response to the faithfulness of a very faithful God amen it's got to be a response we must first know that any faithfulness must begin in God because the guilt has taken it on. When I uh, wrap this up, uh, in the time that I have, I want to tell you a story uh, that, that had beaten me up to the point of, of emotional mental collapse uh, and uh, when I was only in my four, late 40s. And so I want to just share that with you and then how the Holy Spirit came. And uh, then I had changed so many things at that moment because I had a theological metamorphosis. I walked out of some of those very, very damaging have to do, must do, and this is what you're going to do. And then finally, if you're faithful enough, you will hear at that judgment seat, well done, good and faithful servant. And we push for it and we try for it and we're told we should do it and we have to do it. Well, I want to tell you tonight, we're going to change that. Amen. I only believe this. It's for freedom that Christ has set me free. Amen. Not to bring me into bondage, not to bring me into guilt, and not to live with guilt. Amen. I remember, the, the, the younger ones here would certainly not remember this, but I remember we used to sing an old song. I've given up all for Jesus. This world means not to me. Well, hallelujah. I've given up nothing for Jesus. And sometimes when we think, oh boy, I have to give up smokes. Man, did I watch people trying to give up smokes for Jesus. They've rolled that many peppermints around their mouth, they've burned their tongue nearly. I've seen them take the smokes out of their pocket and stand on them and squash them into the ground and do a victory dance over them only to find that it cost them another pack the next day. Because somebody told them they had to give it up. They had to stop smoking. They had to do it. Well, I want to declare something tonight. If I am in the kingdom for a have to, I don't want to. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> You're very quiet. <laughs> Something happened the day that I was born again. Many of you know my story, growing up in an abusive home and understanding what that was like and going out into the world. And something significant happened on my way to the soccer match. Something very significant happened. Coming out of an abusive home into a lifestyle that would be far from acceptable. And then something happened. A miracle happened because Jesus turned up. Now, something significant happened. And if this happened at the beginning, it has to happen in the middle, it has to happen at the end, and it has to be the part of everything in my life. Because what has to change? What did God do the most? 
the one thing that happened when I was born again and when you were born again, the most significant thing that happened, I know I passed from death unto life, I know all that. What really happened is God changed my want. He changed my want. I won't tell you all the things I wanted because you wanted them to anyway. But I had a lot of things that I wanted. And I did, and certainly I did not want God. And I did not want righteousness. And I did not want to read a Bible. And I certainly did not want to pray. I had a different want when I was growing up and becoming a teenager who was incredibly angry that wanted to murder his father. I had a want that I'd like to kill my father. I would go out and my want drove me into a lot of unacceptable things. But the day that I found Jesus, he completely changed my want. And what God has done, if I don't start with a want, if I don't have a want, then all the rules in the book will never work. I got to have a want. Why are you here tonight? Somebody drove you here, pushed you here. Why did we get out the front? Why are we worshiping the Lord? Why do I travel the world? Why do I preach the gospel? Why do I do? Because I want to. I'm not doing something because I have to. I am doing it because I want to. Amen. And the want to provides me with a passion. The want to fills me. And let me tell you tonight, if you're not born again, if you haven't found Jesus as your Savior, then you have a different want. And that want tonight can change. Amen. You can, have a, you can go out of this place tonight with a whole new want. I never thought I'd want Jesus. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Who ever thought I'd want Jesus? Who ever thought I'd want to go to a prayer meeting? <laughs> Who ever thought that I'd want any of that? I didn't want any of it at all. <laughs> but you know this. When God changed the want, I loved soccer. I loved playing soccer. But to go play soccer, and then it was Saturdays they played, and these days they do Sunday, uh, Saturday and Sunday, but they only did Saturday. When I came to Christ, he found me, and then he changed the want. And if you didn't go to practice on Tuesday night, you didn't play Saturday. It's just as simple as that. And then, after I just came to Christ... And I got located, somehow the Lord located me into a church, happened to be Pentecostal. And I got located. And then they told me there was a prayer meeting Tuesday night. (laughs) Wrong night. (laughs) And I, because when I came to Jesus, I didn't know the rule book. I didn't have a rule book. And so nobody told me I had to pray. Nobody told me I had to read the Bible. Nobody told me that I couldn't go and fornicate anymore. Nobody told me any of that. I changed my want. And I'd find myself in my old farm loft with nothing between me and the snow and the ice but slates, wrapped in a blanket, pumping up an old tilly lamp, which most of you know about. Not. And... Pumping up an old lamp and just devouring the Bible because a new want had happened. And now I'm standing on the street corner at the top of the village. It's Tuesday night. And they told me there was a prayer meeting. 
but so was the soccer training. I can still remember tonight standing on that village as a teenager, and I so desperately wanted to be at the training. But my goodness, I could not believe the overwhelming want that was greater than soccer. Nobody said, you've got to be in the prayer meeting, you know. No, no. My want drove me to there. My want took me to there. And let me tell you tonight, the only way that you are going to be happy and joyful in your faith is when there's a want that's born of the Holy Spirit. And when there's a want born of the Holy Spirit, nobody needs to tell you any of this. It's just automatic. It works from your want. What kind of a want do you have tonight? Amen. I want you to stop shouting. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) What kind of a want? God changes the want. It has to be an inside job, and God changes the want. If you're doing anything tonight to be faithful, and you think that you have to do something to be faithful, and there's no want, you're not being faithful at all. Do you see? But But we can create guilt by telling people that they have to be, and they have to be, and they have to be. If they have to be, then they have lost their want. And I need to develop a want. I need to try and foster a want. Do I foster a want? How does it do that? Only by the power and the indwelling Christ who comes and changes us and gives us a new want. Amen. Of course, we don't get it right, but we're going to look at that later on. We have to have the want. Amen. Let's just look at a slide that we're going to put up. Thank you. So what have we learned from grace? God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. Amen. One of my messages I've been preaching not long ago back back home in our own home church is heaven to earth. Everything has to begin in heaven. It has to work from heaven. My Christian life is not my Christian life. My salvation is the salvation that was given to me because God ordained that I would be a son born again of the Spirit of God and that I would belong to Him. Amen. He decided that long before I was even born, that I would be His child. Amen. And so you see, I am only responding to what's already been going on in heaven. I need to get it from heaven. I need the message from heaven. If I try to make it happen from earth, that's just a lot of hard work, a lot of rules, a lot of wasted energy, a lot of guilt, a lot of condemnation, a lot of fear, and it'll destroy you. But tonight, I am only a responder, amen. Do you see? Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. Oh, yes. It's the best. Amen. I embrace it. I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do anything else. Only he can. Glory to God. He can only do it absolutely. Christians are not initiators. We are responders. When we try to initiate, we're wasting energy. The Christian life is a life of freedom. The Christian life is a life of ease. The Christian life is a beautiful life. We only struggle because the Bible says it's the way of the transgressor that's hard. It doesn't say the way of the Christian's hard. 
It is the way of the transgressor. When I go down a different road or follow off on something else, then it can be hard and then there can be a struggle. But I can tell you this, when you allow yourself to embrace what God's doing and he's doing it, amen. Trust him to do it. Trust him to do it in it. It's not what you and I do, but it's what he does in us, amen. We'll have another slide. His integrity inspires our confession and responses. His faithfulness, his faithfulness, his faithfulness, his faithfulness. I want to turn this upside down because I hear way, way too much about why Christians have to be faithful. Well, I want to talk tonight is it's a waste of time me trying to be faithful. I need to know there's a faithful God and in a faithful God, I will automatically respond to him in like fashion. Amen. So what <coughs> if in the course of caring for God's revelation, some of the Jews abandoned their post? God didn't abandon them. You know, it, how many times when you think, I failed, I've blown it, I've made a mistake, I've got a bad, you know, I wish I had the faith that the preacher had, and I wish I had all of it. You know what? You have a God tonight who will never abandon you. Folks abandon us. Spices abandon each other. People live with so much abandonment. Works very well for to make quite a bit of money in the profession. <laughs> with attachment problems and abandonment. But boy, there's a horrible lot of people living with abandonment. Do you know what it's like tonight to have a father that wouldn't abandon you? Even when you don't get it right, even when you make the mistake, that our father doesn't blow it. He doesn't say, get mad at you. No, he says here, do you think that their faithlessness cancel out his faithfulness? Not in your life. Depend on it. God keeps his word even when the whole world is lying through their teeth. Rejection doesn't faze God. Boy, I'm glad that God doesn't have a security problem. He's not insecure. And nothing phases him and nothing turns him off. Do you know the one of the things that I want to do when I'm traveling and I'm preaching? I want people, we, we have such a limited, small point of view of the goodness of God, of the love of God, of the greatness of our Father, of how wonderful our Father is, and we try to bring him down to a human concept. That's why one of the... the, the uh, Resources that I put out, and, and we, we sell hundreds of them because it's a different way of looking at the pure love of God. And you know, we, we, it's like J.B. Phillips in his little book, a masterful little book, he says, your God is too small. And, and he says, it's like he, he uses it in photographic terms, and he said it's like looking through the lens of a camera. What you see is God, but it's not all God. I tell you, we have need for an incredible revelation of my father and his love. I grew up with a father that all I knew was abuse and the trouble of trying to find a God who wasn't like my father, that maybe he will be demanding. Maybe he will be too hard to please. Maybe he's like a big ogre in the sky and he's ready to zap me like a bug the moment I step out of line. But my father loves me and my father will not abandon me and my father is faithful regardless of me, regardless 
regardless of my flesh, regardless of my mistakes, regardless of anything, I have a Father that will never, ever, ever abandon me. Amen. Praise God. What, what God believes about man does not change through man's unfaithfulness. God remains convinced about us. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that good? He's completely convinced about me. Do you know what? I would just turn you further and more and more into God tonight. We used to sing the song, but I sometimes listen to sermons after the song's been sung, and the sermon doesn't match the song. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I've ever needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness. Then I listen to a sermon about how much I have to be faithful. But I want to sing a song. Great is his faithfulness. And then, and then, I'm a responder. I automatically respond. I only respond out of a want. I respond because I'm overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God. And let me tell you something tonight. I am not faithful. If, if God took his hand and grace of me, I would not be faithful in a whole lot of things. I am only and can only ever be faithful while I live in the faithfulness of my Father. While I live in the revelation of his faithfulness. It's his faithfulness. It's his faithfulness. I felt yesterday when I was waiting on the Lord and preparing this for you, I really felt very, very strongly that we in this place need to have a greater revelation just as much as I do. I need a revelation of the faithfulness of your God and that he loves you and it doesn't matter what happens. He doesn't change his mind about you. He just loves you and he's convinced about you that you are his child, that you're his son, that you're his daughter and that you're on your way to heaven and let him work on the want. Just let God deal with the want. Amen. Don't think, oh, I'm struggling with sin, I'm struggling with porno, I'm struggling with lust, I'm struggling with something. Listen, everybody can struggle. You have to allow the Holy Spirit just to minister to you a different want. Amen. He only alone can increase the want. See, you started with the want because he only put the want because you couldn't. And then we try to change it to do it ourselves. But it'll only ever keep happening with the want that the Holy Spirit plants in our lives. I want him tonight. I want to sing songs to him tonight. I want to praise him tonight. I want to glorify him tonight. I don't, I want to, hallelujah. It's born of a divine want. Glory to God. The next slide. Taking up a story here, the promise of God that he had to Abraham would become the father of many nations. And he goes on and says, and being no weak in faith, he considered not his body, now dead when he is about a hundred years old. Man, that is getting on. <laughs> so I'm feeling pretty young tonight myself. <laughs> Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. It's God who brings the death to life, dry bones. To, it's God, it's God, it's God. It's not by praying, it's not by reading the Bible, it's not the good works, it's not how faithful I am. It has nothing to do. It's God who brings death to life. Dry bones to live again, fruit to come in the barn and desert places. He alone makes the desert to blossom as a rose. Causes water shall spring out in the, de in the wilderness and the parched land shall become a pool and thirsty land springs of water. We try so hard to perform for God. 
We perform and we perform and we perform. But we just heard tonight about the rest that there is for the people of God. Amen. That he's taken us to a place of rest. We don't have to perform. Amen. We're not in a circus. We're in the kingdom. Amen. I don't want to be a performer feeling like somehow I'm just dangling from some kind of a few pieces of string to do whatever God wants me to do. I don't want to perform. Amen. They didn't perform. It was God. It's not what God does. It is not what we do for God that matters, but embracing what God does for us that matters. He makes the impossible possible. And listen to this. It said, and he staggered not at the promise or the possibility through unbelief. That's what can shut off the key. But he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. All things are possible. Like the children of Israel, we get locked into our unbelief. We say, well, nothing's going to change. Life's just going to be the same. It's too late for me. My old body's given up. I don't think my body can do it. Too many things going on, too much of it. I don't think I can do it. I'm too weak. Abraham was not self-focused. You get self-focused, and here's what he's saying. It wasn't about him, so let's throw another slide up here. What did we read? He makes the bar and they sing again and causes waters to break forth in the desert. Have a look at your body. Just have a look at your body. Boy, you'll go a long way when you look at your body. But I'll tell you something. People look at their body, and they want to look at their body and check their body out. But you know what happens when you start looking at your body? You're in trouble. <laughs> and you get to my age, that doubles. <laughs> you start looking at your body. And be assured, if you keep looking, the Bible says that Abraham staggered not by looking at his body. I'll tell you this, you look at your body and you'll get a fit of the staggers. You look at how you think you can do and how well you can do and how you're not doing and think about the incap, you know, I'm, I wish I was like them and I wish I was like somebody else. We compare ourselves and we, we try to think about somebody else and if I had their gifting, if I could sing like them, if I could play music like them, if I could preach like them, if only I had different eyes and different nose and then if only I had different ears, if only I had a major makeup, if only I was different, if I could be a different person. I want to tell you tonight that's not, that's not right because we're looking at our body. But God gave us the body. Yeah. Amen. It's the only one you got. You can do all the fixing up you like. And you know what? So many people, they fix it up on the outside and it changes nothing on the inside. Major makeups can, cause a lot of, can cost a lot of money and doesn't even fix the problem of how you see your body. But don't look at your body. Don't look at yourself. We take too many selfies. Man, that's a big thing now, those selfies. And I send my selfies out. And you know why? Why do I send so many selfies out of myself? Why do people do that so much? You know what? They're waiting for comments back for the selfie to tell them how good they look. What's my body look like? How well am I built? What does my eyes look like? What do my hair? Do you like what I'm doing? They're waiting constantly to try to find out from their selfies. And if they don't get the right replies back, they will plunge down into rejection because they were working on selfies. We need to stop looking at selfies and having so many selfies and putting our eyes on ourselves and get our eyes on the beautiful, beautiful Jesus. Amen. 
and see from a heaven's point of view, how does God see me tonight? And God sees me as wonderful and beautiful and he sees me as desirable and God sees me as his child and he loves my eyes and he loves my nose and he loves my ears and he loves everything about me and he looks down and he says, oh, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am so pleased. God made the earth. God made the earth and he said, God made the earth and he said, it looks good. And then he made you and he said, very good. <laughs> I think it's very good, but I'm very good. Amen. Abraham believed in the faithfulness of God. Amen. Let's turn over because I want to take, we're going over a couple of slides because I know that clock's moving on and I want us to go, can we go just another couple of slides? I think we'll, when we hit it in a moment, I'll do it. That's one. No temptation, I want you to just see this and then I need to tell you the story. No temptation has taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful. Listen to this carefully. God is faithful and he'll always make a way of escape. There are many temptations that befall us, many temptations according to the way that we are. You're tempted different to I am. That's why I can judge you because you sin different to me. <laughs> but no temptation has taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful and he makes a way of escape. Now here's a snag with that. God provides the way of escape in being such a faithful God, not to let us be tempted above that we are able. But do we always choose that? Do you always go there? No, here's a problem. We do not. We do not. But God has made a way of escape. God is faithful to give you grace for your temptation, for your trial, for your problem, for your situation. God is faithful to do that. Amen. Now, we will testify tonight, it would have been a whole lot better if we had just taken it. <laughs> if I'd just been not so stupid. But we don't. And then God comes and he said, see, I gave you, I was faithful to give you grace not to get caught up. Grace not to get into that. Grace not to get involved. I gave you the grace for it and you didn't pick it up. So now you're going to get a beating. You couldn't avail yourself of grace that I gave you. I was faithful to do it. And now look at you. You're blowing it. Well, you're going to have to be a while begging for forgiveness. And you're going to have to get some good works going and be a little more faithful to my faithfulness. Because I give you the grace for it. But does God come and beat us up? Does God come and hit us over the head? Tell you, you got it wrong. You didn't get it right. I gave you the grace for it. No, I want to tell you something tonight. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And here's what he now says. I didn't take that door of escape. I made a wrong choice. I went down a wrong road. And then suddenly I found out that he said, Okay, you could have saved yourself that pain, but here's the deal. If you confess it, I am faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My God is as faithful at the bottom of the cliff as he is at the top. When I was up there and everything was wonderful and everything was going great, God was so faithful. Amen. 
Yes? Oh, man, I'm glad I escaped that. I'm glad I didn't fall into that trap. Boy, I'm glad I got out of there. Oh, thank you for your grace. Oh, I know, Lord. Only your grace has kept me. Hallelujah. And it's wonderful when we have that experience. But, boy, we don't always have that experience. Because you know why? Pressures, trials. Because you and I have choice for freedom. And we have choice to go down this road. There's always a door for you from a faithful God not to get caught up. There's always grace for you. Always grace for me. It didn't happen by accident. We didn't just get in any trouble because we didn't know. No, no, because God provided the grace in the door. But then, oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Where would it be tonight if that faithful God was like my father? And because I didn't keep the rules or I didn't get it right, or I filed, he's going to beat me up and tell me, I gave it to you and you didn't take it. No, he said, listen, you fell from there, but I'm here. And the faithfulness I had there is the same faithfulness down there. I'm just as faithful in your mess. I'm just as faithful in your mistake. I'm just as faithful in your wrong choice. I'm just as faithful in whatever is going on in your life. I'm just as faithful to you when you've made the mistake. All you have to do is saying, Father, I got it wrong. I just got it wrong. Confession means, confession just means having truth. You have to admit where you are before you can leave where you are. If you don't own something, you'll never disown it. So it's about having truth. Father, I blew it. I'm totally wrong. I got it wrong. Oh, man. But, but I, I, I feel bad and the pain that I got for it and the mess I might have been in. And then he comes along and he says, but you've walked back in to a faithful God. He's not going to beat you up. He's not going to give you a sermon. He's not going to give you a lecture. He's not going to tell you, well, three strikes and you're out. He's not going to tell you any of that. He's just going to say, my grace and my faithfulness is exactly the same as it was before you came down. And see, we think God has a different way of classifying our lifestyles, that if I'm good and faithful, then God will be nice to me. But if I don't match up, then God's going to change his opinion of me. Oh, he, he doesn't change his opinion of you. Amen. Because he knows us and he remembers that we are dust. And he said, yep, I know that wasn't good. I didn't want you to go down that road. I know it caused you some pain. I know it'll hurt you. But man, all you have to do is open your mouth and say, I got it wrong. And my faithfulness is right there to cleanse you and to forgive you. I love 1 John 1, 9 because it's a bargain. I'm Irish and I'm into a bargain. You get two for the price of one. If we confess, one, he is faithful and forgives and cleanses, I get two for the price of one. Amen. I don't need to go through five steps to repentance. I don't need to go through remorse and condemnation. I don't have to suffer the ravishing difficulties and problems and destructiveness of guilt. I don't have to go there at all because the moment I confess, the moment I open my mouth to him, immediately his faithfulness comes and right there without having to go through any of those things, he immediately forgives and cleanses me and puts me back like I was and takes me to the top of the cliff and says, go on, get going. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Has anybody here at all ever made a wrong choice? Well, there's about four truthful people. 
Are you not glad tonight that you just got such a faithful father? Man, there's nothing that can upset him. There's nothing that can make him mad. There's nothing that can turn him away from me because I'm his creation. He made me and he put a want in me. Now, I can make choices to go off and do something, but you know what? It's like one young guy in Austria I was working with, and he was doing porno, and he was really into porno big way. And, and he said to me, I'd love to get married in his 20s. He said, I'd love to get married. He said, but I could never subject uh, a, a lovely girl to, to uh, be involved with me because I'm just so much in porno. And uh, I looked at him, and I said, so what's the problem? And he said, uh, I've done everything. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've cried out to God. He says, and I've done everything that I can do. I said, so you're struggling with porno? He said, I am. Big time. I said, oh, hallelujah. That's not quite the response he was expecting. (laughs) And I said, oh, hallelujah. He said, what? I said, this is good news. It wasn't good news for him right now. I said, that's great news. He said, why is it great news? I said, because I just had to find out whether or not you're really born again. And the fact is, you now have a different want. So you don't want porno. Because if you weren't born again, you couldn't care less. Your struggle is actually proving to me that you're a child of God and that you're born of God. So your struggle is wonderful. Now we can start from your struggle because now I know I'm talking to a Christian. Now I'm talking to a believer because only believers struggle when they do something wrong because it's not your genuine want. Do you want out of porno? Yeah. Do you want to be free from porno? Yeah. Do you want to have a holy... Amen. I want, I want, I want. Yeah, amen. Well, then that's good. So I said to him, okay, I need to ask you a little question. Have you ever taken Jesus with you to watch porno? (laughs) Well, now, he looked at me like I shot him. (laughs) And I said, so what kind of a game do you and Jesus play? I said, do you you say to Jesus, listen, I'm really tempted right now, and I'm going down to the basement to my computer, and I'll be watching porno. Could you stay in the lounge room? I said, do you see, you're thinking so warped. He is with you when you watch him. That's why you're upset. He doesn't like porno. That's why you don't like it. (laughs) If he wasn't with you, you wouldn't be bothered. But since he's with you, you're really bothered because he's bothered and because he's bothered, you're bothered. And there's nobody can make you any more uncomfortable than a comforter. And we walked that young fella, all the therapy he had in the world and everything else, walked him through into freedom. Amen. Tell you something before I have to finally finish, because it's no good looking at a lot of other slides, because it's not going to beat me. When I was in pastoring work, and I had a great church, and I loved it all, but I finished up in burnout. And I was only in my late 40s, and I finished up in burnout. And I, I was in hell, and I went through hell. I had the worst experience. I'm telling you, I was in hell. 
I was reaching up to touch the bottom. I was that far down. And I was in physical pain. I was in hospital and out of hospital and in hospital and out of hospital. I went to different people to try to find out what was wrong with me. I was emotionally breaking down. I was psychologically breaking down. I was breaking down everywhere. I would be in and out of hospital for weeks on end. I'd sleep for five minutes and then wake up screaming. Sleep for another five minutes, night and day for about three or four weeks. I just would scream and yell and scream and yell with the intense pain. The doctor, Dr. Thompson at the time, he'd say to me, we'll find it, Ray. We will find it. We'll find it. I said, we'll find it quickly because I'll be dead if we don't find it quickly. I went through hell and during my whole burnout time I went through hell. But do you know, amongst all of the pain and all of the hurt that I went through, Do you know the worst thing of all was because I was in a holiness Pentecostal movement and the worst thing of all in all of that pain, nobody knew what was wrong with me because nobody understood that back then. But do you know the worst thing of all was I didn't have a theology that could lift me in the middle of my mess. My theology, when I needed it the most, let me down. And that's the day that I had a theological metamorphosis. I changed so much. And then I went into training, back to school, back to college, back to doing the things that I did, because I reckon nobody will ever go the same way I've gone and nobody will understand it. That's what drove me into re-educating my life into the way that I've gone from pastor work, because pastors didn't know. No pastor knew. I, had, I won't go into the story because of time. But I tell you what, nobody knew what was wrong with me, but I sure went through hell for some time. I threw the Bible away because I had filed big time. I had filed really big time. I was so full of faith. I was so full of God. I saw God do so many things. I saw miracles. I saw all sorts of things. But right now, my faith's gone. I have no more faith. I don't even know where God is. I don't even know if there is a God anymore. I I tell you, I, I was burned out spiritually and every other way. My life was a total mess. Couldn't see anybody, couldn't do anything. I'm just glad that I believed in team ministry because my church just went on the same when I was away. They didn't know I was having an incredible crisis of faith. They didn't know that I was going through all of that. I didn't know if I'd ever be back in church again. I didn't even know I was going to live. I didn't know any of it. I was in a total mess. I couldn't read the Bible because my past theology in reading the Bible was it was beating me up because I saw this God who would let me, this God was going to punish me. This God, he was going to be hard on me. this God who would not receive me, this God who wouldn't love me and I so needed to be loved. I got to be loved and I don't have a God that will love me. So I couldn't read the book because the book just killed me. I'd open it and I had a big nose as you can see. I had a big nose looking into this and I would sniff out every scripture that was condemning me. I'd sniff every scripture that would come like it was guilt ridden. I'd sniff every scripture but what I didn't do right. And in the end, I took the book. Like the Sermon on the Mount. I just got to the place. I said, keep the sermon up the mount. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. And I don't want it anymore. And I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know where I'm at. And I'm too much of a fog. Slowly, I started to recover physically. And slowly, I started to do it. About months and months and months and months went by. And I couldn't read nothing. And then one day, I walked in. I was home again because I'd been away too much. And I was home again. And I don't know why, but it had to be the living Bible that was there. Because in my theology, we had to be faithful in attendance, faithful in giving, faithful in works, faithful in holiness, faithful in righteousness, faithful, 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 faithful. Be faithful. 
And I was sick of faithfulness. I was like Thomas. I was completely believed out. My believing bag was empty. And there was nothing left in it. And then we had this prize at the end. When we would die. Stand before the Lord. Well done. Good and faithful servant. And it was all about me. And I was taking selfies the whole time. And I turned the script. And it had to be, it had to be this version. And God had her down it was this version because the Bible just fell open. I'm not into just falling open jobs, but the thing, the Bible fell open in the living Bible. How it got to be there, maybe my wife strategically placed it for me. But I just looked at it. And here's how it started. Turn to that last slide. Can we do that, dear? Have you got the last slide up for me? Yeah, here's how it went. Even when we are too weak, to believe. Yes, 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 yes. You got me. God trapped me. And I put my hand up. That's me. A man before building churches, pioneered churches, did all sorts of things, and I'm too weak to believe. And I just put my hand up and surrendered. I am. That's me. I'm just too weak to believe. I'm just too weak to believe. And then that kept me reading. And it said this, even when I'm too weak to believe, he remains faithful. Because he cannot deny himself, we who are parts of his own body. And God spoke to me. And the first time, my piece of blue sky, the first time God came back to speak to my life, and God spoke to me, and he said, it was never, ever, ever about your faithfulness. It's always been about my faithfulness. And Abraham, the father of your faith, believed in the faithfulness of God not in his own faithfulness and I want to tell you tonight even when you're too weak to believe God remains faithful even when I don't think I'm going to make it he remains faithful even if I do look at my body and I get a fit of the staggers he remains faithful even whatever happens he remains faithful God's faithfulness from generation to generation and now somebody says to me boy you faithfully travel the world brother you so faithfully travel the world I wouldn't travel the world faithfully if God had not given me the want and if I hadn't found out that it's not about my faithfulness at all, I'm just responding. I'm only responding. It's no big deal. I'm not Mr. Wonderful. I'll be married 50 years next month. You know, yeah, well, I have no idea why you're clapping, but probably, probably you think the poor guy survived two life sentences. Now, they, <laughs> No, I got, a, I, I got an incredible wife. Listen, no, you see, that's not true. Please don't ask me how I have done that and the secret and the keys and the chains and everything and the steps and everything for a good husband. No, don't do ever do that. Please don't do that. I'll tell you this. I have become an expert over 50 years in what doesn't work. <laughs> and I still get in the poo. See, I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good father, I'm not a good grandfather, I'm not even a good Christian. But there's a life in me that's a good father. There's a life in me that's a good Christian. There's a life in me that's a good husband. There's a life in me. Do you see, this is not about me at all now. I stopped taking selfies a long time ago. I used to take selfies, and my selfies knocked me around because I wasn't making it, I wasn't hacking it, I wasn't cutting it. But I don't take selfies anymore. If you do, 
you just get a fit of the staggers. Well, I'm not taking any of those because I only see myself in the reflection of my Father who tells me that He's faithful and it's not about me, it's all about Him. I respond to it. Amen. And as I respond, He creates the want. And I move in the want. And I go on the want. And it's such an easy way to live out of want. If you live out of need or have to, it'll cause you to struggle. But when you live out of the want, it causes you to rest. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.